quite unusual. Hi, and welcome. You are listening to the Quite Unusual Podcast. We are your hosts. I'm Nicole. And I'm Noelle. And we are coming to you from the haunted attic, aka Noelle's house that she shares with a ghost. I do. She does. Today, we are going to be dipping our toes into the true crime pool. I think we've only done one other true crime, right? Yeah, we did the murder of Betty Shanks, yeah. which is TBH, one of my all-time favorite episodes. It's a good episode. So if you haven't listened to that one, check it out. Well, this case was actually brought to my attention from a not very well-known movie called The Frozen Ground. Actually, it popped up on my Netflix as <laughs> a popular movie to watch. And I saw it had our two favorite guys, Cage and Cusack. I call them Cusage. <laughs> They're just one entity for you. Yeah. So can we call them that? Cusage. Yeah. Q-Sage. I like it. And then I think I texted you and I, I immediately after and I was like, you must watch this movie. And I was like, I am going to watch this movie right fucking now. <laughs> I think you did. And then I watched it immediately after you texted me. <laughs> nice. And we had something completely different planned for this week, but we just swapped gears swapped on like it. what, Wednesday? Yeah, I think it was Wednesday. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, we have to do this. But they're doing a whole bunch of, I think the movie is popular because they're doing like the Discovery Channel had a mm-hmm. special recently. And I think that's why it's like popping up on Netflix because people are like researching it. So it's it's good that we're doing it, I think. That's right. We're giving you the information that you crave, America. Mm-hmm. Uh, can we talk about my absolute favorite part of this movie, though? Besides yes. like Cusack and yeah. Cusage? Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I'm, okay, 50 Cent is in the movie. He is in the movie. And I didn't recognize him because he has the most luscious mane I have ever seen in my life. It is the weirdest hairstyle. It's like short on the top. It's like business on the top, but party on the bottom. So think of yeah. like a mullet, but all around. But it's yes. short on the top. And then it just goes long. Yeah, he plays like a pimp from yeah. what? The 80s? Nine, like the yeah. early 90s. He's mm-hmm. an early 90s pimp. And he has the fucking weirdest haircut I've ever seen in my <laughs> life. And I don't know what they were trying to do with this. I, I don't either. But I just like to imagine that the real man that he's portraying had that hairstyle. Oh, and that's why they went with it. They for sure did. You know he's a producer on the film too? 50 Cent? Yeah. Good for him. Yeah. So maybe he was the one that decided on the hair. <laughs> That's the it was in his contract. He's he like, look, have. I get to produce and I get to style all the hair in this movie. <laughs> yes. Well, before we get to the real story um, that we're going to talk about, yes. Robert Hansen, the mm-hmm. butcher baker, the butcher baker, we have a little oopsie doopsie roundup, a little baby mini mistake. We do. Last week, we stated that this is so stupid. I'm so embarrassed. <laughs> we stated that the capital of Virginia was rally because we're dumb. The capital of Virginia is Richmond, which I should have known because my partner lived in Virginia and I have been to Richmond like 600 <laughs> times. Okay. I forgot, yeah. Um, so Raleigh's the capital of North Carolina and Richmond is the capital of Virginia. Yeah. Remember when I bragged about me winning <laughs> that capital naming contest in elementary school? I trusted you. I trusted myself. Like sick brag, Nicole. But then I disappointed fifth grade, Nicole. And I fucked it up by agreeing that Raleigh was the capital. <laughs> But in my defense, I knew it was someone's capital. I just didn't know whose. But hey, I got OKC right. So shout out to OKC again. And our listener, Aaron, (laughs) 
will be happy. So shout out to Aaron as well. Hey, Aaron from the OKC. So yeah, sorry to all of our Southerners and geography teachers that we have offended. Do Virginians and North Carolinians, is that, is that right? <laughs> is that what you call them? Do they consider themselves Southerners? I guess they're like the South of the East Coast. But um, so I Googled it to make you? sure we didn't have to do oopsie doopsie roundup um, <laughs> again, part two. And they're technically Southern, so I feel oh. safe saying it. Okay, well. Well, anyways, oh, that's been Oopsie Doopsie Roundup with Nick and No. Yeehaw! <laughs> also, uh, we want to preface this episode with a little content warning. We are going to talk about a lot of murders and yeah. too many rapes, and things will get a little bit graphic. So if you aren't completely desensitized by horrific crimes, please be warned that this is going to get a bit unnerving. Mm-hmm. I was unnerved just like watching the movies and the documentaries and reading about this. Like my yeah. honestly, my stomach was churning and I was getting so angry and disgusted. Yeah, this I would I'd say that this made me extremely angry. Yeah, it's disgusting. So if that's not your thing, this is your chance to dip out now and catch us on next week's episode. But I guess without further ado, let's get into Bob's early life. His origin story, if you will. Robert Christian Hansen was born on February 15th, 1939, making him an Aquarius. Babe, <laughs> I am an Aquarius. I know you are. And I was reading the wiki on Bob Hansen while I was watching The Frozen Ground. Yeah. And the first thing I saw was that he was an Aquarius and I screamed. <laughs> I was like, he's just like me. And then I backpedaled so fucking no, hard. No, this is no. the only thing we have in common. But to make it less terrifying, Chris Farley also shares a birthday with Bob Hansen. So oh. that's a good Aquarius born on February That's 15th. true. Not all Aquarii, Aquarii are bad. Most of us aren't. Yeah. Maybe. I don't know. I only know me and Chris Farley. <laughs> Chris Farley. <laughs> well, I think you're both upstanding citizens. Thanks. So. Except for Bob Hansen. He could fuck off. Yeah, for sure. Anyways, keep going. So Bob was born in Easterville, Iowa, to Christian and Edna Hansen. His father, Christian, was a Danish immigrant and a baker who was very strict with Robert. Robert claims he had a very difficult childhood because of his father. His father had a short temper and was very mean to Robert, mm. showing him little to no affection and made him work long hours in their bakery. Boo fucking who, Robert. It's called being a child with, like, a parent that owns a business. <laughs> exactly. On top of the fact that his daddy didn't love him, Robert was also a fucking loser. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I have no sympathy for this man, and I will call him the loser that he is, and you'll understand why. Dude, no apologies here. I mean, I would just like to, um, before the court, motion to <laughs> refer to Robert Hansen as baby bitch boy Bob for the remainder of this yes. episode. Motion granted. Thank you. You are welcome. I might just drop it to like triple B, though. Yeah, that's probably easier. All right. All right. Well, baby bitch boy Bob. <laughs> Trip quadruple B. That's a quadruple B. QB. <laughs> he was considered very small for his age. He was very scrawny and skinny, and he also had extremely bad acne growing up, and he has been quoted as saying that his face was just one big pimple, and this would leave his face scarred, horribly scarred, with acne marks in his adult years. Robert also had a stutter, which made him very shy 
and in turn had little to no friends. He claims that he was left-handed, but his parents made him use his right hand, which stressed him out even more and caused his stutter to be worse. Okay. I just gotta say, <laughs> it's pretty fucked up if your child is left-handed and you're like, no, you have to be right-handed. Yeah. Super fucked up, yeah. right? But I'm just gonna say, that probably happens to like a million children, and none of them yeah. turn into fucking disgusting dirtbag serial killers and right. rapists. It's not an excuse. So I just feel Bob. like he had probably like a pretty run of the mill childhood. Yeah. I mean, it's it's an excuse for how he is. Yeah. It's just all excuses. Everything is just an excuse with he's him. Just He's the worst. He's the worst. Bob was also rejected and shunned by the girls his age, which led him to develop a strong hatred for women. Bob claims that he respected some women, the good ones, he says, but the ones that were bad, well, he had something in mind for those sluts. And that's an exact quote from him. I fucking hate him so much. Yeah. Bob turned to hunting and outdoors activities because he had no friends. He felt powerful when he was carrying a gun and hunting animals who were weaker than he was. He was like a straight up fucking gun nerd. Like... (laughs) You'll see that the gun that he uses, we'll talk about it later on. Yeah. But basically, like, the newer, modern alternative is the AR-15. Oh. And he was like, um, no, actually. And he, like, pushes up his glasses <laughs> and, like, pops a pimple on accident and was like, I'm actually more of a preference to the older version. He's like a fucking gun hipster. And I hate He's him. He's a gun snob. <laughs> I'm going to say I hate Bob Hansen so many times in yeah. this. But yeah. I really hate Bob Hansen. Yeah. He's just everything, mm-hmm. everything about him is terrible. Yep. In 1957, Hansen enlisted in the Army Reserve after high school, where he served one year before being discharged and getting a job as an assistant drill sergeant at a police academy. So he's looking for more control. More control, exactly. In the summer of ni- 1960, Bob was 21 and married his first wife. The honeymoon would be cut short on December 7th of that year when Bob decided to burn down a school bus garage in his hometown. Very normal. I also couldn't find much information on his first wife, Mm -hmm. but I did find that she was much younger than him. Yeah, and he was 21. Yeah. So just picture. So I'm just going to throw it out there. 15, 16. Yeah. A weird age difference. Yeah, very weird. Bob forced an employee of the bakery to be his accomplice. This boy was only 16 and in turn went to the police and told them what happened after Bob had forced him to help him. Mm. Bob says he burned down the school bus garage because he felt that the people of Pocahontas, Iowa, where he lived, deserved it because he was mistreated by the community. Once again, this dude blames everyone else for his problems. He's a fucking sociopath and he's a psychopath and he can't take responsibility for anything and yet he wants control. Mm -hmm. And that's like the perfect storm for what he turns into. Yeah. Bob was sentenced to three years in prison but ended up only serving 20 months. His wife was over it, though. Thank God for her. Mm -hmm. And divorced him just six months after they had married. So let's give a hell yeah to her. I couldn't find her name anywhere, but we salute you. We salute you, Mrs ex-Bob Hansen. <laughs> yes. Bob was evaluated at the prison and was diagnosed with a couple of mental disorders, including bipolar disorder, schizophrenia, and infantile personality disorder, which 
made him obsess about getting even with people. So he was a clinical baby bitch boy. (laughs) Pretty much. That's like the medical term for it. Yes. (laughs) Over the next couple of years, Bob was arrested several times for petty theft. And then in 1963, he married his second wife, Darla Henriksen. In 1967, Bob and his new second wife moved to Anchorage, Alaska. Bob thrived in Alaska. It was almost kind of like a new start for him. Bob's shy personality fit in well with the small community and the solitude of the wild terrain, not to mention all of the hunting opportunities Bob now had. Alaska seems very, very beautiful. Mm -hmm. And I mean, we have a friend from Alaska. Yes. Shout out, Kathleen. Shout out. Um, But it just seems... I don't know. Something about Alaska to me just seems mm. like it collects like it's like the island of misfit toys. It is. I mean, I think that's they say that like people moved to Alaska to like for a fresh start. Oh, who knows what they were doing in their other life that they needed a fresh start. But I guess it could be good or bad. Yeah. Bob and his wife had two kids and settled well into their community. Bob was very well liked in this tight knit community. Being the avid hunter that he was, Bob had entered four animals in the Pope and Young record book. The Pope and Young record book is a record book for bow hunting, big game, and Bob had several records. I just eye rolled. You couldn't hear it, but I did. (laughs) Bob soon grew bored of hunting animals and discovered that he enjoyed a different type of hunting. (laughs) At the time when Bob moved to Anchorage, the area was starting to flourish due to the oil boom and the construction of the Trans-Alaska oil pipeline. As more and more people moved to Alaska for work, the streets started to fill with some seedy characters. Anchorage had a rough neighborhood called the Tenderloin District, which, gross. That is fucking disgusting. (laughs) And it all centered around 4th Avenue in Anchorage. So the streets were run by the mob, and they were littered with clubs with such names as Wild Cherry Bar, Arctic Fox, Booby Trap, and my personal favorite, the Great Alaskan Bush Company. Which, fun fact, is still open today. Um, Are we adding it to our pod crawl? We for sure are. Actually, I was supposed to be, I was supposed to go to Alaska this year in June, but due to COVID, we were going to go visit our friend Kathleen and her mom. Yeah. Oh. Sadly, we did not go. So I could have seen all of these places, but screw you, COVID. (laughs) Yeah. Maybe next year. Well, you know. Yeah, maybe. (laughs) So all of these bars were places where women would dance, they'd strip, and sometimes even sell their sexual services. On top of all of that, the area was just ripe with violence, drug use, robberies, and murders. So the police really had their hands full with this area and the people attracted to it. It was here that Bob was able to give in to his messed up fantasies about women. See, Bob did not look at sex workers like they were people. To him, they were beneath him. He's even been quoted as saying, you can't rape a prostitute. So if anyone listening right now was feeling sorry for Bob and his shitty upbringing or the fact that he had acne, don't. And you absolutely can rape a sex worker. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he referred to like sex workers as, well, prostitutes, which we don't use that word anymore. Nope. Um, and sluts and whores yeah. and little girls and all this weird ass fucking shit. Yeah. The way he speaks about women is disgusting. It is unreal. Bob liked to pick up many sex workers in the early 70s. Most of the women who got into his car described him as harmless and said that he looked like the perfect dork. 
Until he got them alone, that is. In 1971, Bob tried to abduct 18-year-old Susie Hapeard, a housewife at gunpoint. Susie was able to get away, and Bob was charged with assault with a deadly weapon. That same year, and one article even said it was just days later after the Susie incident, Bob abducted another woman. This time, it was a topless dancer and a sex worker from Anchorage. Bob abducted her and took her to a cabin and raped her. He then thought he would have a little fun, so he threw her in his car and drove to a quiet road where he pushed her out, took out a Ruger Mini 14 gun, and pointed it at her and told her to run. The poor frightened woman pleaded with Bob not to kill her. Bob threatened her and told her he would find her and kill her and her family if she ever told anyone what he did. He even went as far as making her write down the names and addresses of everyone she loved. He believed that she was scared enough not to talk, so he let her live. Okay, but what we're seeing here is him breaking into his fantasies, breaking them into real life. Yes. I'm just going to assume um, that he had fantasies of murdering and raping women. For sure. I mean, when you get bored of hunting grizzly bears, like, (laughs) there's something going on. Right. You know? So... Yeah, it's like this is where we see him really start to become yeah. the fucking cesspool of a person that he, he is. He starts living out his fantasies. Right. And yeah, this whole like dangerous game thing that he's got mm-hmm. going on, it's like Power Trip 101. Oh, totally, totally. So the woman actually did keep quiet for a while until a naked female body of a college student had been found in a ravine near the area Bob had taken her to rape her. Thinking this was the same man who had abducted her and let her go, she just knew she had to come forward and tell the police her story. That's very smart because, yeah, I mean, same situation. So why not? Exactly. The woman was able to positively identify Bob from a series of photos and Bob was arrested and held on $50,000 bail. Bob was given a sentence of five years. The rape charges against the sex worker were dropped due to a plea bargain. Bob had support from the local church and people of the community, basically saying that it was her word against his and argued that she was lying and couldn't be trusted because of her line of work. We're going to see this a lot, too. Yes. And at the end of it, we'll talk about this whole less dead situation. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, you see this over and over again. Bob is like, this nice, upstanding man and all these other women are fucking liars and they're sex workers, so you can't trust them. Exactly. Well, it's always the it's always the people you don't suspect. Yep, that are the ones that are hunting women. That's one hundred percent true. Mm-hmm. After only serving six months of his five year sentence, unreal. Bob was put into a work release program and set free. It is believed his killings may have started after these two incidents, because these incidents made him feel invincible and. He felt like he could get away with anything since he got off on both with merely a slap to his pimply hand. (laughs) I don't know if his hand had acne on it, but I'm going to start that rumor because fuck this guy. Oh, old Pimple Hams Hampson. (laughs) Pimple Hams Hampson. (laughs) Things were pretty quiet until around 1967, 1977. I saw both years in a couple of articles, so we're just going to say 66, 67. Bob was arrested once again and pleaded guilty to larceny for stealing a chainsaw from a Fred Meyer store in Anchorage. He was once again convicted of five to five years in prison, but that was overturned by the Alaska Supreme Court because they deemed his sentencing too harsh. Mm. He was released with time served. Yeah, but think 
if he had stayed in prison for even the first five years, yeah. none of this would have happened. Well, and that's what a lot of the detectives working on the case, mm-hmm. they were like, a lot of women's lives could have been saved if they had just kept him in jail. Mm-hmm. But they had to let old Bob go because yeah. he was going to bake the bread. <laughs> While Bob was in jail, he underwent another mental evaluation, which is just standard procedure for any prison. The psychiatrist diagnosed Bob with bipolar affective disorder and deemed him a possible threat to society. The psychiatrist recommended that the courts order Bob to take lithium to control his mood swings. Do you think the courts enforced this recommendation? Of course they didn't. Of course they didn't. Bob was not given any medication while he was in prison. Great. Nor was he forced to do so outside of prison. Double great. Right? So great use of taxpayers' dollars hiring a prison psychiatrist that the state just chooses to ignore. Why would you trust a professional when you could just ignore them? (laughs) Right. Shortly after Bob was released from prison, the second time, that is, Around the early 80s, Bob reported that his home was burglarized and he collected $13,000 from his insurance company. With this $13,000 and following in his father's footsteps, Bob opened his very own bakery in town. Oh, that's so nice. Yeah, this made him even more popular to the residents. Not only was he respected for all of his hunting records, he was also a friend to most, especially the cops who frequented Bob's bakery all the time for coffee and donuts. You know, Bob, um, it's real weird that you're making donuts in the shape of women when they're always like filled with jelly and you're telling us to stab them open and get that jelly out of there. But they're damn good, so I'm going to keep buying them. (laughs) With his run-ins with the law almost forgotten, Bob was now considered a respected member of the community. (laughs) Perfect. Great. Right. No one had actually burglarized Bob, though, And when they caught him on it, he claimed that his stolen wildlife trophies were just found in his backyard and he just forgot to tell the insurance company. Yeah, this was the whole thing. He had all these trophies in Mm -hmm. his house that I guess were worth $13,000. I I guess. Who knows? Okay, first (laughs) off, whoa, that's insane. And then he just actually buried them in the backyard and then was like, oh, the crooks must have buried them in the backyard. And I found them when I was digging in the backyard and forgot (laughs) to tell you. Which also, who goes to steal trophies from someone's house? I don't know. You just like scratch off Bob Hansen and write like, Noel Krupa, I'm the best bowler now. It's me. None of it makes sense. None of it makes sense. Maybe they felt guilty and they just buried them in his yard for some reason. (laughs) Well, anyways, in January of 1982, Bob bought himself a Piper Super Cub, which is a two-person plane. Bob never actually got his pilot's license due to his mental diagnosis, but that didn't stop him from flying it, nor did it stop any goddamn person at the airstrip from letting him take off ever. Oh, that's just no license, Bob. We don't care. (laughs) Have a donut. I mean, the shit this guy got away with, I think it was... Basically, because he just seemed like a huge loser and everyone felt sorry for him. Maybe, but okay, maybe this is like a hot take. This is why you should bully nerds. I'm just going to put it out there, okay? You know what? Are you pro-bullying? No. (laughs) No, I'm not pro-bullying, okay? okay? I am pro-bullying the fucking bad people. (laughs) I would have bullied the shit out of Robert Hansen. Yeah. I would have, because I just feel like I have a sixth sense for fucking creeps. And I love to bully a good creep now and then, okay? 
Creeps need to be put in their place, man. So sue me. I'm going to bully a creep if I want to. (laughs) This plane would actually play a significant part in Bob's future abductions until one amazingly brave, badass woman stood up for herself and for the safety of future women. Yes. Now let's talk about one of the baddest babes in all of Alaska. Our key witness and my personal hero in this case, Cindy Paulson. Yes. It was June 13th, 1983, when the phone at the Anchorage, Alaska Police Department rang. And with this phone call, all the tides began to turn. A truck driver called Robert Yount. Yeah, and we'll go with it. (laughs) A truck driver called Robert Yount called to inform police that he had picked up a partially clothed young woman who had been running down 6th Avenue. She flagged him down with handcuffs around her wrist, crying hysterically. I'd also like to point out that Cindy Paulson is played by Vanessa Hudgens in the movie. Oh, she's amazing. She's amazing in that role. When she got into the truck, the driver was able to see her bruises and cuts and all the evidence that she had been assaulted. She was clearly rattled and hurt, but insisted the driver take her to the big timber motel instead of a hospital. Upon dropping the young woman off, the driver immediately called the police to tell them what he had just experienced. When the police arrived at the motel, they asked the front desk clerk to show them to the room of the battered woman that had just arrived. When they opened the door, they found a 17-year-old Cindy Paulson huddled in a corner, handcuffed and terrified. She was only 17. So young. The story she would tell police would be the key to taking down the butcher baker, Bob Bitchmouth Hanson. (laughs) (laughs) Or I guess if we've dubbed him Baby Bitch Boy Bob. Yeah. Whatever your poison is. Earlier that day, she had taken a client's offer for a $200 blowjob, a skinny, pockmarked, buck-tooth, horn-rimmed, glasses-wearing man with a stutter. Nice. That's how she described him to the police. Well, he was. That's he, that's how he looked. Absolutely. Um, she had gotten into his car, which was a green, which was a metallic green Buick Century, which she still remembers every single detail about. Once she was inside the car, he instantly handcuffed her to the door and pulled a gun to keep her quiet. He then drove to the middle-class, sleepy suburb of Muldoon. It was here that he marched her into a room in the basement of his house that he referred to as the den. Have you ever heard of that? The den? Like a den being a room? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Have you never heard of that? I've never heard of that before. Really? No, never. Is it like the OG, like, man cave? I... Yeah, kind of. Like like a a den room? Yeah. Or like, yeah. Well, I mean, Chicago, we say front room. Yeah. We say front room. (laughs) I've never, I don't know, I never heard den. So he took her to the den. The room was full of animal heads stuffed and mounted on the wall, animal skulls, tons of stuffed ducks, which she remembers, which is cool, I guess, and a bearskin rug. There was also a support column right in the middle of the room. The column had a ring deeply driven into it, which a chain was attached a chain Bob Hansen would put around Sidney Paulson's neck, a chain that had been around the necks of many women before her. It was in this room that Bob Hansen would abuse, torture, and rape Cindy. She recalled that he had originally tied a rope around her neck and tied her to the coffee table when they first had sex. Mm. I say had sex. I was going to say, do you mean raped Yes. It's weird because I read her like interview with the police, and she says make love. But she was mm. 17. Yeah. She was a child. Right. She's she was a sex worker. Mm-hmm. 
So I don't know if she was trying to like soften her own blows here or what it was, but yeah, maybe she was just nervous. And that was the first thing that popped into her head. Yeah. You know? So yeah, he tied her to the coffee table by a rope around her neck and he raped her. Then when she had asked to go to the bathroom, he left her handcuffed and he held onto the rope while she peed. That's disgusting. She heard the rattling of chains and saw that he had laid a blanket out on the floor for her to use as a bed. Hansen wrapped the chain four times around her neck tight enough that she was not able to move, but only a little bit. She recalled that there were bars on the window and a deep feeling of dread washed over her. She begged to be set free. She swore she wouldn't tell anyone. She begged for her mother, and he responded by telling her that even if she did escape, no one would believe her. He promised her that his friends would lie for him and tell the authorities he had an alibi. Yeah, that seems to be a common thing that he tells these women because he knows that, you know, they're sex workers and what they're doing is illegal and he's friends with the cops. Exactly. So he threatens them basically with like legal action. Like if you tell anyone, I'll tell everyone you're a sex worker and, you know. Right. And I mean, it's, they he's believed been him. proven right over and over yeah, again. Exactly. Like, they believe Bob over yeah. these women over right. and over and over. Yep. So Bob then took a long nap on the couch in the basement, just feet away from her. And when he awoke, he unshackled Cindy from the wall and he told her to get dressed. This is a quote from Cindy from the original police interview. He took all of my money and jewelry, and he told me that since he liked me so good that he would take me to his cabin and make love to me one time, and then he would bring me back. It's weird that he calls it making love. This maybe is maybe that's the term that he used, and that's why she's using it, though. Oh. You know? I didn't think about that. Yeah. Now you have me thinking. <laughs> um, so she continues. And he said he had a plane over at Merrill Airfield and that we would go there. Then he would take me to his cabin and he would bring me back. And I knew that he wasn't going to bring me back. I wasn't going to come back. He handcuffed her and forced her into the back of his car, telling her that he was taking her to the cabin in the woods. He took her to the airport where he kept his blue and white Piper Super Cub airplane. It's like a super tiny little airplane. Yeah, and only only two people can fit in it. There he began loading firearms and other equipment into the small plane. While he was distracted, Paulson kicked off her shoes in the back seat as a way to prove that she had been there. Nice. Snuck out and ran as fast as she could to 6th Avenue, where the aforementioned truck driver picked her up. Hansen chased after her. He was super panicking, but he backed away once he saw her get into the truck. God, can you imagine if that truck wasn't there at that time? That's like, mm-hmm. like uh, her saving grace. Yeah, for sure. But also, what was he going to do? I mean, Sixth Avenue was like a super busy area. Right. So was he just going to like tackle this bleeding and bruised woman? I mean, people believed him before. It seems like if he were to be like, oh, she's like my daughter or something. Oh, yeah. People totally would have taken his word over it. Like a Jeffrey Dahmer situation. Yeah, exactly. Whoa. Officer Greg Baker. Whoa, that's ironic, too was the investigator assigned to the case. As he was talking, as he was taking Paulson home, she insisted on returning to the airfield so that she could identify the attacker's plane. Sure enough, the Piper Super Cub was still there. An airport employee was able to find the plane's registration where it was confirmed to have belonged to Robert Hansen. The police knew Bob Hansen. He ran a bakery, as we talked about before, that many of the officers frequented. He was known as an avid hunter, so he was super popular because of that, which Mm -hmm. we talked about. And also, he was very active in church and considered to be like a godly man. Mm -hmm. 
The officer dropped Cindy off at her home and went to Hansen's address. The home was exactly as Paulson had described it, and the vehicle parked in the driveway matched her description as well. Hansen, who fit the description Paulson had given right down to the stutter, was asked to go to the police station for questioning. He was polite and cooperative, but of course he denied any allegation against him. He claimed that the woman was simply trying to extort him, a respectable member of the community. How dare she? He even acted almost offended when the officers suggested that he had raped Cindy, and he... I mean, as we said earlier, he's quoted as saying, I don't see how it's possible to rape a prostitute anyways. It's it's possible. It's very possible to rape anyone. To rape anyone. (laughs) Or anything. Hansen gave police permission to look inside his house, which is the fucking ego on this guy. (laughs) It was a small ranch house he shared with his wife and two children who were away on vacation. Yeah, I read that he, like, would put them like it was a European vacation yeah, he, or something. Yeah, he sent them on like this extravagant European vacation so he could kill people. Yeah, that's so fucked up. Well, you can't kill prostitutes if there's a wife at home, am I right? Yeah, it's, I guess it's true. The basement was exactly like Cindy had described it, aside from the missing chains and the shackles, which let's just take a moment right now to applaud how incredible her memory is. Yeah. Like, okay, sure. It was less than 24 hours by this time, but mm-hmm. holy shit, dude, the trauma that she went through, like, yeah. and she's just delivering spot on accounts of events and scenes, like, a photographic memory yeah well and the fact that she kicked off her shoes as proof that she was there that's very smart very smart she's like on her game yeah dude. she is just as he promised he would hansen had an alibi for the night of cindy's attack he had been of course visiting with friends and the friends confirmed this alibi the only witnesses of this event was Sid- was cindy a teenage sex worker the police chose to believe Hansen, a respectable family man and business owner, who had an airtight alibi. They considered this case completely closed. Officer Greg Baker wasn't so sure, though. He felt that Cindy wasn't lying, and he couldn't shake his suspicions. When he had taken Cindy to the hospital to be examined, her wounds were consistent with shackles, and she had obviously been raped. He had taken her original statement, and he believed Cindy— but it seemed that he was the only one in the precinct that did. It's also so amazing to me that she described everything to a T. Oh, yeah. And they still didn't believe her. Yeah, I mean, she described his basement. Yeah, and his car and the airplane. She Mm -hmm. clearly was in all of those places. Yeah, and they're just like, that's fine. We don't care. That's shitty police work. It's unreal. But, I mean... There are some good police. Greg Baker, you're one of them. That's right. After Cindy's abduction, the case went somewhat cold because no one believed Cindy, like Noelle said. That is until bodies started showing up and the police just finally couldn't look the other way. Sergeant Glenn Flothy of the Alaska State Troopers had been investigating the area around Anchorage, Seward, and the Matanuska Susitna Valley. A couple of female bodies had been found, and they were starting to think that they might have a serial killer on their hands. Okay, hearing this makes me wonder, like, how many detectives currently, right now, at this moment, think that they have a serial killer on their hands? Probably a lot, I would say. Like, I mean, you've heard about this whole Fort Hood situation, right? Whoa, there's, like, this military base called Fort Hood, where Uh all of these people are dying (gasps) in the same way. But the military is like, we don't have a serial killer. Of course. 
but they do for sure. And I bet there's just so many more situations like this. uh, In Chicago, there's been like women showing up in dumpsters. Like the same way, and oh. everyone's like, like there. I've read articles like there's a serial killer in Chicago, but I think it's, I think it is, like sex sex workers dying, yeah. so they are not really investigating it as they should be. Perfect, that's great. I mean, if it were white girls from the suburbs, oh, they'd absolutely. be all over it. <laughs> absolutely, but yeah, the first body of a woman was found by construction workers by Eklutna Road. The body to this day has never been identified due to decomposition and the fact that she had been picked apart by wild animals. Because remember, this is Alaska. It's terrible. They were able to identify that she had been stabbed to death, though. Sadly, this victim found in 1980 would only be known as Eklutna Annie. That's just how terribly sad to yeah. just never, ever be identified. I know. Later that year... In 1980, another body of a female was found in a gravel pit near Seward, Alaska. This body was too badly decomposed, but the police were able to identify her as Joanna Messina, a.k.a. the Bear Lady. She was dubbed the Bear Lady because when they found the body, a bear was actually in the process of eating it. And sadly, they had to shoot the bear as well. I mean, only in Alaska. Am I right? That's that's fucked up on so many different ways. Which actually, I'm just thinking of this now. Mm-hmm. Do you think the way that he like buried these bodies? I mean, yeah. they were like super shallow graves. Oh, yeah. Do you think he did that purposefully so that animals would eat them? I think so, yeah. I think he knew that the wild yeah. would just kind of like take over. Wow. Yeah. It's clever and fucked up. It's super clever. In 1982, the remains of Sherry Morrow, a topless dancer at the Wild Cherry Bar in Anchorage, was found in a shallow grave near the Canuck River. Sherry had told a friend that she was going to meet a man at Alice's 210 restaurant at noon. She said she was going to be given $300 to let him take some naked pictures of her. She never returned. (gasps) Six months later, police came across the body of Sue Luna, another sex worker who had also agreed to meet a man at Alice's 210. He was to pay her $300 for sex. She, too, never returned. This is an extreme pattern. Mm -hmm. A year after Sue Morrow's body was found, just three months after the Cindy Paulson kidnap and rape, Paula Golding's body was found in the same area, and she, too, was also a known topless dancer. Wow. The pattern continues. Yeah. Bullet shells had been found at both murder sites of Sherry Morrow and Paula Golding. Casings were sent to the lab and were found to have come from the same gun, a two twenty three caliber Mini-14 rifle. Right, which is, like I said, that hipster AR-15 situation. <laughs> the hipster, yeah. yeah. <laughs> While all this was going on, one cop and another Bab, which is a badass bitch. Oh, I like that. And she was actually also one of the first two women on the Anchorage police force. Wow, that's amazing, too. She was the first to suspect that they were actually dealing with a serial killer. That's right. Mm -hmm. Maxine Farrell started investigating, and right away she discovered a pattern. All the women who were showing up were sex workers. Maxine put together a spreadsheet of all of the missing women and took this information to her superiors. Maxine was laughed at by her male superiors. (gasps) They told her she was wrong, 
and they thought she was stupid and that she didn't know anything because she was a woman. She pleaded with them to investigate, but they refused. Glenn Flothy of the Alaska State Troopers, Maxine, she was with the Alaska State Police. Oh, okay. So he started investigating. He actually partnered up with Maxine because of the work that she had done and the information that she already had. That's amazing that someone is believing her. Right. Because how unreal. Yeah. Even if you just think that she's crazy, investigate it. Look into it. Just Well, it's your job. They don't care. They so. don't care. Because they were sex workers. Right. And she was a woman. Mm-hmm. So one step above sex worker in their mind. Yeah. With the help of Maxine's information, Glenn made a motion to form a task force to start diving deeper into this investigation of all of this, all of these missing women. The state troopers requested from the chief that Maxine be put on the task force with them, but he refused, probably because he knew she was right. And after he had just laughed in her face, he, you know, wasn't going to give her that. Right. So she was pissed, as anyone would be, but she still wanted to help. So she turned over all of her info to Glenn and the state troopers with the hope that they would be able to find the killer. So she's the only cop doing her job. (laughs) Yeah, pretty much. And then she hands over all of her information to the troopers to be like, okay, my department is stifling what I'm doing here. So please just fucking just solve this case. Just get this guy, basically. It's fucking insane to me. Yeah. Although the police were no longer actively investigating Cindy's case at the time, Officer Greg Baker, who Noelle talked about, was assigned the case. He just couldn't put it out of his mind. So he began to search into Bob's background, and he found that he had been arrested for kidnap and rape before. Greg sent his report to Glenn Flothy, who was the head of the Topless Dancers Task Force. That is not what they called it. That's what the article said. Oh, my God. That's uh, pretty disrespectful. Yeah. But okay, sure. At it least was, there was a task force at It this was point. the early 80s. <laughs> it I was mean, the 80s. A lot of shit went down in the 80s. <laughs> sure. Glenn agreed that Bob was a prime suspect, and he decided to reopen the Cindy Paulson case. Flothy reached out to the FBI and Special Agent John Douglas and asked for some help. He wanted a criminal psychological profile based on the three bodies that they had found, who, if you are familiar with the phenomenal Netflix show Mindhunter, the character of Holden, who's the younger detective. What? He's based off of John Douglas. Oh, I didn't know that. Sidebar. Yeah. If you are into criminal profiling and that interests you, like it does me, Mm -hmm. I highly suggest reading the book Whoever Fights Monsters. It's written by Robert Ressler, who he is basically known as the man who ter- who coined the term serial killer. Oh, wow. And he's actually portrayed by the other older agent in Mindhunter. Whoa. Yeah. Should we start like a quite unusual book club? I think we should. That'd be amazing. That book's awesome, though. So I suggest you read it. I will. So John Douglas came back with a spot on profile for this killer. All right. He said... They should be looking for a man who was an experienced hunter with low self-esteem. <laughs> he would have a history of being rejected by women and would feel compelled to keep souvenirs of his victims, such as jewelry. Oh, wow. He also suggested that the suspect might have a stutter. No fucking shit, dude. Spot on. That is amazing. Yeah. Wow. So basically, they're just 
owning they're calling Robert Bob Hansen out. so hard. <laughs> yeah. They're like, hmm, uh, he probably has acne, probably a <laughs> fucking loser, can definitely make a damn good bagel. But you know what? That stutter, what a fucking loser. And then the last thing they said was that he was just a fucking loser. <laughs> yeah, they're just like, loser, 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 loser. Underlined three times. Yeah, they called Bob once and they're like, hi, is loser. I'm so sorry is bob available yeah okay yeah you're a fucking loser and then they hung up (laughs) in using this profile flothy was able to create a list of possible suspects around the area and one of those names on the list was none other than bob hansen bob fit the profile to a t he owned a plane had done time for previous assaults and rapes against women he owned a cabin near where the victims were found and his favorite gun was a 223 caliber mini 14 rifle. Fucking gun nerd. Gun nerd. Gun nerd. How many people um do you think had a stutter and also fit this description? Probably like maybe one other guy. Yeah. I but- mean at this point Alaska's not even now the population of Alaska's very large. So right. <laughs> there's like two men that are 5'5 five five, and yeah. they're like, "Well, it's one of you." Right. <laughs> exactly. For sure. But just Let's just go back to how Cindy Paulson told them all of this. Yep. Over and over. Yep. And they're like, hmm, I wonder who it could be. He probably owns a plane. He probably has a stutter. Uh, who could it be? Right. They're like, we don't want to really want to look into it. So we're case closed, Cindy. It's Thursday, which is the Friday of Thursdays. We're done working. <laughs> Pretty much. Thinking that they had the right guy, the police pressured the men who had originally given Bob an alibi for Cindy the night she was attacked. Once they were pressured with a perjury charge, they caved and told the police that they had just been looking out for their friend and that he, in fact, was not with them that night at all. I just feel like if you have a fucking weirdo-ass friend, okay, and he's like, oh, uh, can you lie to the police and say that I wasn't killing women? Right? I'm all for being a good friend, but there's like (laughs) limits here. Okay, people? Yeah. I mean, I would lie to the police for you. Thank you. I also wouldn't fucking murder, kill, and like rape women. Exactly. So So I'm not not worried about what I need to lie for. Thank you. But I would lie for you. I'm always with Nicole. (laughs) Now you guys know. (laughs) Armed with this info, Cindy's account, the profile, and all the other evidence... The task force was able to secure a warrant to search Bob's house. Not with the help of the Alaska State Police, may I add. Oh, good. They were not convinced it was Bob at all, despite all of this evidence. Right. Being his friend and all, they tried to push the warrant off, but Flothy was having none of that. Flothy was shutting them down the way they shut Maxine down. Exactly. I mean, Nick Cage in the frozen ground... When he's like, I need the warrant now. Dude, okay. That's Flothy. That's a really good movie, by the way. Yeah. Like, it's very good. Like, you don't think that John Cusack is that great of an actor. And this is like the one time he's too handsome for like a role, which is incredible (laughs) to me. Um, But then also, just Nick Cage is like full on Nick Rage in it. Yeah. It's great. Nick Rage. He's Nick Raging. (laughs) On October 27th, 1983, at 8 a.m., Robert Hansen was arrested at his bakery and taken to the Anchorage Trooper Station. While Hansen was being questioned, cops were searching his home, his cars, and his plane. Behind wooden paneling in Bob's trophy room, a.k.a. his den, the police found piles of jewelry and IDs of missing women. So dumb. Yep. So dumb. 
Under the floorboards in his house, they found a Ruger Mini 14 hunting rifle, the same gun that had killed the murdered women. I also saw that they found like 25 other guns in his house. Mm -hmm. That it was just like gun after fucking gun. Well, he was a hunting. He was a guy, hunter guy. Okay. Well, there's a fucking (laughs) limit here. You have two arms, Bob. What are you doing with 98 guns? Um, People love their guns, man. They sure do. They love their guns. Yeah. And they love even more crying about the government taking them away from them. (laughs) Don't get me started. (laughs) The biggest piece of evidence, however, was a map of Alaska where Bob had 20 X's marked. They found this hidden behind his headboard in his room. And I read his wife knew about it. Yeah, she just didn't know what it was. I mean, I will say that his wife was kept in the dark. Like he put her, sent her to Europe on vacation. Right. She in the movie they portray her as being like super mousy too. Yeah. I don't know if that's actually how she was. I don't I wonder how he treated her. Me too. Know? Yeah. Because you don't I don't know. I just I couldn't find anything on that. But Yeah, I didn't really find much on either of his wives, actually. Yeah. So which I mean, probably best that they yeah. stay out Maybe of they don't want anyone to know about yeah. them. I fucking wouldn't. To Mm-mm. like just the knowledge that like you had sex with Bob <laughs> Weird Dick Hansen. Yeah. Like, no thank you. <laughs> The police quickly put it all together from the map after matching two of the X's to sites where they had found the two murdered women. They had found his sick and twisted murder map. This is the most fucked up thing. The Canuck River was his favorite spot to take his victims. Romantic. And Hansen was a trophy collector, not only collecting animal heads that he had hunted, but also collecting jewelry from his victims, just like the profile said. He showed off his animal kills in his den, but he kept his human trophies to himself. So basically, he's a process killer. Yeah. Um, like, there's sort of two types of serial killer, if you will. I mean, there's mm-hmm. a million different types, but there's two mains. Right. There's process and there's product. So mm-hmm. like a product killer would be like a Jeffrey Dahmer because he liked the actual dead bodies afterwards. Mm-hmm. But this guy doesn't give a shit about the bodies. He wants to torture. He wants to scare these women. He wants to hunt them and play with them like a cat and mouse game. Yeah. So he enjoys the process. Right. And a lot of times with the process killers, they keep trophies like jewelry or whatever because they don't keep the bodies like a product killer would. Yeah. So he's like pretty textbook, like one fucking textbook loser, (laughs) two textbook product killer, and three just like... I feel like if I knew him in real life, I'd be like, this man has fucking killed people. Okay. Like he's fucking weird. It just, it all lines up so much that I can't believe that it took this long to fucking stop him. Yeah. Well, me neither. (laughs) At first, Bob tried denying everything, but when faced with all the evidence against him, he finally broke down and basically blamed all of the women for his killings, which <laughs> is very on brand for him. I didn't want to kill him, but then I did. It's their fault. It basic, that's basically what he said. The interviewers said that once they had gotten under his skin, it was like night and day with Bob. Bob had transformed from the adorable baker the community loved. I just threw up in my mouth. I know. He had transformed into a red-faced raging madman. Like the Hulk, but very small, horn-rimmed glasses, and his pimples were popping. (laughs) He was so mad. And I have to give a nod to uh, our man Cusack, though, because that scene in the movie when Cindy comes into the room, 
I don't think she actually did, but in the movie, she comes into the room when he's being interviewed, and yeah. he just like goes ballistic on her, oh, and he's yeah. like spits like flying out of his mouth. It's so good. It's very good. Very good performances in this movie, which I still don't know what, how it flew under the radar. I have no idea. Like three incredible actors plus Fifty Cent in a great wig. <laughs> like what's not to love? I know. Bob said that he had started killing in 1971, first attacking just any woman who had caught his eye. I just, I can't. I just keep like fucking rolling my eyes mm-hmm. and like getting angry. Right. He really didn't have a type. He said that he then smartened up and switched to killing sex workers because they wouldn't be missed. Less dead. And the police rarely investigated, which is true. They didn't investigate at all. It's true. And honestly, I hate to say it, but it's very clever that he did that. Yeah. He said he would take his victims out to the woods Sometimes by plane, sometimes by car. Sometimes, if his wife and kids were not home, he would take them back to his house. Like I said before, the European vacation. So he, like, did things to try to get his family out of the house so he could kill. That's just insane to me. Like, if your husband's being extra nice to you and he's like, you know what, honey? Why don't you and the kids go to Paris for the week? Like, why not? We live on a fucking baker's salary in the middle of Alaska. We can definitely afford this. Right. Fucking question it, people. Like killer. Like, he's fucking killing people. Right. And then also, like, marking on his map with, like, little X's and, like, skulls and crossbones. <laughs> maybe question it. Just maybe one time. Right. Bob says that if the woman obeyed, and did what he wanted, he would take her back home and not kill her. He said, I'd tell them if they made any trouble for me, I had connections, and would have them put in jail for being prostitutes. The fucking ego. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah, I might murder people, but you're the bad one here because you're a sex worker. And the messed up thing is that that probably could have happened. They probably would have listened to him. Oh, for sure. If and they the, did before. They did. Yeah, they did. Yeah. So. I also saw one thing where he said that he liked to pay sex workers for blowjobs mm-hmm. because he didn't think that a good like woman a wo- yeah. would He didn't want his wife to do that. To do that. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So like that was like some kind of weird excuse. Yeah. Whether or not his wife knew about that, I'm unsure. But right. Seems like she was kept in the dark, but who really knows? Right. Bob says if a woman argued or resisted, he would just automatically kill her. He would take his victims out into the bush, strip them of their clothes, and set them loose into the Alaskan wild. Bob would then hunt them, sometimes even going as far as messing with them and letting them believe that they had escaped before shooting them. I wonder if he got this idea from, like, movies or books, because this very much is, like, the most dangerous game. Yeah. Like, like, oh, I'll set you free, actually. Go, run, little chicken, run. And then you, like, shoot him in the back. It's like that, the movie that just came out. What is it called? It's like they hunt, they hunt, um, they hunt people. Oh, is it the one with the girl from Glow? I don't know. You don't watch Glow? No, I don't watch Glow. We talked about this last week. I know. That's so weird. What is it called? Damn it, I'm gonna look it up. It's The Hunt. The Hunt. Yeah, that's her. The Hunt, yeah. Yeah, that's the lady that plays Liberty Bell. The blonde woman. Oh. So... Coming into our episode again. (laughs) So synchronicities. Right. Bob would then redress his victims once he had shot them as like a last means of just having ultimate control over them. So with him, it was really just about control over women because throughout his whole life, they had just rejected him. Oh, cry me a river, Bobby. Right. He would then leave their bodies to be taken by the great Alaskan wilderness. 
Bob admitted that the X's on his map were indeed grave sites for his victims. In exchange for less publicity to protect his family, Bob agreed to take authorities out to each of the X's. Bob ultimately confessed to killing 17 women, which police think the number could be actually as high as into the 30s. Probably. Yeah. Only 12 bodies of the 17 that Bob had actually confessed to have been recovered. So the man that was quoted as saying, shut up, sweetheart, or I'll blow your brains out, was convicted in 1984 after confessing to killing 17 women, most of which were dancers and sex workers all of this happened during a 12-year period. Hansen was convicted of four of the murders after a plea deal spared him from having a public trial for all 17 counts of the murder, which I didn't know until researching this, mm-hmm. that if someone is like a serial killer, they'll pick like three or four yeah. like hard... like They just need to get them on really one. Yeah, which is sort of sad because, I mean... There's not a lot of closure for the rest of these people. Yeah. I mean, you don't actually get that he's in jail because of what happened to, like, my sister. But I yeah. mean, at least you know that he is still That's in true. jail. Yeah. That's true. Which is just going to knock on wood here. Don't say your sister ever again. He also confessed to raping 30 additional women during this time. And I know we've said this too many times, but this guy, like... I don't even have words to describe my fucking disdain and disgust for him. Mm-hmm. And honestly, I feel like this number is probably way higher than 30. Oh, for sure. It's like, yeah, I raped like, I don't know, 30 women. If you're fucking confessing to raping 30 women, right. you've done it to so many more. It sounds, from what I read, he raped sex workers because he didn't think, well, in his mind, you you couldn't rape a sex right, worker. Right, like they weren't people to him. Yeah, they were like beneath him and he didn't see them as people, so he Felt like they owed him sex. Absolutely. Which is, he's like the fucking OG incel. Yeah. He really fucking is. Mm -hmm. And we were talking, John and I were talking about this last night. Mm -hmm. Like the only thing worse than like being called a creep is being like called a Robert Hansen. Like he is so (laughs) bad in every possible fucking way. Very true. He's a loser. He's a nerd. He's an incel. He's just, I just hate him so much. And I'm so angry. So we're just going to jump off this anger cliff for a second and get back to this. (laughs) Bob Hansen was charged with assault, kidnapping, numerous weapons offenses, theft, and insurance fraud. Oh, they got him on the insurance fraud. Yeah, the one where he stole all... I'm sorry. Somebody stole Somebody all the Somebody stole all the trophies and then weirdly buried them in his own yard. Oh, and right, then right. He just happened to be digging in the yard and found all these trophies. Right. okay. Yeah, so actually with that insurance money, he bought the bakery and he bought his little plane. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so thanks, State Farm. Thanks for coming in on that one. <laughs> A ballistics test proved that the bullets found at the crime scenes and the ones fired from Hansen's rifle were a match. So that was an extremely powerful tool towards proving that he was guilty. With this concrete evidence, the plea bargain for four of the murders, Moreau, Messina, Goulding, and Aklutna Annie, and additional information about other victims was agreed to by Bob Hansen in exchange for serving his sentence in a federal prison with no publicity surrounding him or, in his mind, more importantly, his family. Yeah. Hansen also was obligated to decipher the markings on his cute little map and disclose the locations of all the victims' bodies. He confirmed the theory that the police had about the way he abducted women, you know, hiring them for blowjobs and then... then kidnapping them right additionally like we talked about before he confirmed that he let potential victims go if she was able to convince him that 
they wouldn't report him to the police. Right. Which is just like the most, in my opinion, the most fucked up power trip about this it whole thing. It so is. He's like, you know that meme that's like the change my mind guy? Yeah. yeah. He's like that, but like to the fucking worst yeah. degree. He confirmed the timeline of the murders proposed by the police with the first beginning in the early 1970s. Did you say 1971, right? Yeah, I think that's what I found, 1971. It's also believed that Bob Hansen is responsible for 21 murders in total. That's what they can like pin him on. Oh. There were 21 murdered women that fit this description. So they believe that that's sort of like what he did. Right. He murdered these 21 yeah. women. And I don't think he necessarily was very, I mean, he was open about some of the murders, but he denied a lot too. Yeah. Which is super weird. Yeah. He showed investigators where 17 of the victims were buried, which was at the time very unheard of. Like they took him around to all the sites yeah. on his little map mm -hmm. and he showed them where the bodies were. If they could find them. I mean, if animals hadn't eaten them or, you know, stuff hadn't overgrown. Yeah, that's true. 12 of these victims were previously unknown to authorities, which is insane to me. Yeah. Weirdly, he refused to show the investigators a few of the sites marked on the map. Huh. Three of these notable X's marked the locations at, at Resurrection Bay, which is near Seward. Two of the bodies found under the X's were named Mary Phil and Megan Ermac, both of which Hansen denied killing, but there were X's on his map to mark their bodies. Right, and they found bodies. I wonder why. I don't know. I can't like wrap my mind around why he would do that. Maybe something about them was so special to him that he like wanted to keep them to himself. Yeah, you know how we like killers are weird. Was that sometimes right. like it's like they're like spec their one kill that means the most? Yeah. So maybe those were I don't know. Maybe maybe he like kept them around for a long time before he killed them. So he cared about them in a weird way. Yeah. I don't know. I'm just speculating. Weird. The remains of twelve of the victims were exhumed from their resting places, identified, and returned to their families. Mm. I'm not giving him any credit in any sort of way. But I do like that at least some of the families were able to get closure and yeah. the remains of their loved ones back. I mean, that's like if you're convicted of murder and you know where your victims are and you you know, like you're either going away forever. There's no chance you're going to come out or say that, you know, that you're getting that you're no, like the death penalty. Right. Why wouldn't you just tell the police? Because they're bad people. That's true. But then, I'm like, <laughs> but then I know normal, normal people would be like, yeah, sure, here, <laughs> right? But you can't think like that. That's true. Um, I mean, some killers are like, oh, actually, I killed ninety five people, but I'm not going to tell you about any <laughs> right. of that. They just lie. Or, yeah, they do some weird ass shit. Mm. So ultimately, Robert Pimple Hands Hanson <laughs> was sentenced to four hundred and sixty one years plus life in prison without the possibility of parole. He was convicted by a jury. Nice. Somehow, to me, this still doesn't seem like enough. Alaska does not have the death penalty. He was first imprisoned at a prison in Lewisburg, Pennsylvania. And then in 1988, he was returned to Alaska and was imprisoned in Juneau. Why was he in Pennsylvania? I don't know. I don't know if it was like a more secure prison or something. Oh. Or maybe they had room for him there. Oh, maybe, yeah. But then he was moved two more times, one to a prison in Seward, which I have to imagine is a much smaller prison than these yeah, others. Right. And then finally to the Anchorage Correctional Complex for, quote, health reasons before his death in prison at the age of 75 on August 21, 2014. 
Good. I'm glad he died in prison. Honestly, maybe I'm just super angry here, uh-huh. but I hope that this sick fuck doesn't even like get the privilege of rotting in hell. <laughs> like, I hope that his spirit landed into like some sort of weird abyss. Yeah. Like this weird, like blank room nothingness uh-huh. of like, where like you have this, you know, you're there and you know, yeah. you're dead and you know, you could be somewhere else, mm-hmm. but you don't even get that. Like, you just get to like float in nothingness. I hope that he gets reincarnated into a pair of anal beads for the grossest dude ever. <gasps> yeah. That's what I hope for him. Oh, that would be sort of nice. Forever, though. He's like forever anal beads. <laughs> forever <laughs> anal beads. Yes. And he's like <laughs> the smallest one that goes the furthest up. Yeah. <laughs> That's so <him>. gross. <laughs> Baby Bob anal bead. Uh. <laughs> Also, can we take a moment to reflect just on this less dead situation that mm-hmm. we were talking about earlier? If you aren't familiar with the term less dead, it was originally coined by criminologist Stephen Egger. Less dead refers to people who are usually marginalized or like of a forgotten community. Yeah. This includes sex workers, people without homes, mm-hmm. drug users, members of the LGBTQ community, yeah. minorities, and immigrants. Yep. Yeah. So a lot of the sex workers also that he had murdered were natives. Oh. So it was like a double whammy. Like, right, for the police just not giving a fuck. Yeah, like they did yeah. not care. Ugh. Usually a serial killer or I suppose like just a murderer in general will target these individuals knowing that they will likely not have people surrounding them that mm-hmm. will question where they disappeared to. Yep. And this was especially the case with sex workers in Alaska at the time Bob Hansen was active. Mm-hmm. As we talked about at the beginning of the show, Alaska had seen a population boom because of a pipeline being installed. So men flocked to the area for work and along with them followed sex workers and drug dealers, knowing that a clientele would be waiting for them there. Right. I also read that uh, it was like the first time that people in Alaska had disposable income because they were working and they were actually making really good money with this construction of this pipeline. So the... The people in the area now had money to spend. Right, like disposable. Yeah, exactly. Income. With women in sex work especially moving in and out of the area, it was less likely that people would suspect anyone was murdered. Also, a lot of times these women didn't give their real names to anyone. Yeah, I read that too. you don't know who these people actually are. Yeah, it's like if you go to a bar and you're like, I'm looking for Tanya. They're like, well, there's five Tanyas working tonight. Pick one. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Tanya with a Y, actually. Right. She's over there. And along with that, it was less likely that people would even care about these women that were murdered. Mm -hmm. Bob Hansen preyed on the last dead and even showed that he regarded sex workers as way fucking less than human. Mm -hmm. I just thought that it was really important to talk about this because it still goes on today. Oh, for sure. I mean, we just talked about this whole dumpster situation. In Chicago, yeah. If you think it doesn't exist, then you're blind and you need to open your eyes. Yeah, that's a it's a privilege thing for mm-hmm. sure. Yes. Certain people are just viewed as less important than other people in the criminal justice system. Mm-hmm. And it's super not right. And it super needs to change. Yeah. Okay, so now I think we should name his victims and probable victims as sort of a way to just speak their names. Right. Honor them in, I guess, some sort of way. <laughs> yeah. Do you want to start? I will start. Sure. So first we have Megan Emmerich. She was 17. She went missing July 7th, 1973. Hansen denied killing her, 
but she is suspected to being one of his kills because of the X on the map. Mary Phil, age 22, went missing July 5th, 1975. Hansen also denied killing her, but there is... But he is suspected of murdering her because there is an X on his stupid little map. Horseshoe Harriet, victim's identity and age is unknown. She's just known as Horseshoe Harriet, believed to have been killed in the late 1970s. Her remains were found spring of 1984, and she's believed to be a victim as well. Eglutna Annie, victim, victim's identity and age are unknown, but she is suspected of being between 16 and 25 years of age. She's believed to have been murdered June of 1980 and was found the following month. Hansen confessed to her murder. Roxanne Eastland, age 24, went missing June 28, 1980. Hansen confessed to killing her, but her body was never found. Joanna Messina, age 24, went missing early July 1980. Remains were found in late July 1980. Lisa Futrell, aged 41, went missing September 6, 1980. Remains found May 9, 1984. Sherry Moreau, age 23, went missing on November 17, 1981. She was found September 12, 1982. She was found in a shallow grave on the bank of the Canuck River. She had been shot in the back, and there were no bullet holes in her clothing, suggesting that she had been shot while nude and then redressed before being buried, which was Bob's M.O. Yep. Andrea Fish... L. Thierry, aged 22, went missing December 2nd, 1981. Hansen confessed to killing her, but her body was never found. Sue Luna, aged 23, went missing May 26th, 1982. Her body was found April 24th, 1984. She was stripped nude and forced to run through the forest while Hansen hunted her like an animal. She was shot to death. Paula Golding, age 17, went missing April 25th, 1983. Her body was found September 2nd, 1983. She was found in a shallow grave on the bank of the Canuck River. She had been shot in the back, but there were no bullet holes in her clothing, suggesting she had been shot while nude and then redressed before being buried. Cindy Paulson, age 17. She went missing June 13th, 1983. She survived. She was kidnapped, tortured, and raped before she managed to escape. Malay Larson, age unknown, went missing between 1980 and 1983. Her body was found in April 24th, 1984. Dylan Sugar Frey, age unknown, believed to have gone missing between 1980 and 1983. Her body was found August 20th, 1985. Her body was found by a pilot testing new tires on the sandbar of the Canuck River. Teresa Watson, age unknown, disappeared between 1980 and 1983. Her body was found April 26, 1984. Angela Fettern, age 24, believed to have gone missing between 1980 and 1983. Her body was found also on April 26, 1984. Her body was found at Figure 8 Lake. So they must have been exhuming bodies around in April 26, because that's when a lot of them were found. Yeah, that might be when Bob was showing them around. Yeah. Tammy Peterson, age unknown, possibly 20, went missing between 1980 and 1983. Her body was found April 29, 1984. Her body was found one and a half miles from Old Canuck Bridge. And finally, Beth Van Zanten, age 17. Hansen denied killing her, but is suspected to because of an X on his aviation map. We'd like to dedicate this podcast to the victims, known and unknown, of Bob Hansen. 
and to Cindy Paulson for standing up to the police even when they didn't believe her and just being such a badass honestly seriously just like in the face of people denying her and just her sticking to her guns she is the real reason right without her testimony probably wouldn't have gotten convicted i know he's dead but i just want to give a big fuck you (laughs) to bob baby bitch boy pimple hands hansen All right. That was super depressing. <laughs> it was. Um, but, you know, you have to honor the victims. For so, sure. For sure. For sure. I have a listener mail. Ooh, okay. And also, we have a surprise after this. We have a surprise. Oh, we do, we do have a surprise. We okay. Do. <laughs> okay. So this one comes from Andrew. He says, hey, witches. I'm a huge fan of your show, and I loved your most recent episode on Roanoke, Smiley Face. I recently, nope, I especially liked all of the theories about what could have happened to the settlers. You guys must be clairvoyant because an article was just published saying that there was another legitimate tablet found. This one says that the people of Roanoke assimilated with the Croatoan of the Hatteras Island. Oh. I'll link the article for you guys to check out and let your listeners know on your next episode. And then he linked it here. Keep up the good work, celebrate the strange, and keep it unusual. Heart eyes, Andrew. Oh, thanks, Andrew. So this is pretty cool. I looked into it and yeah. they dug up like a shit ton of land looking uh-huh. for clues. Like, like recently? Yeah, in like August or something. Oh. And they were going through it and they found this little tab, like a little piece of slate, I think it was. Uh-huh. And it says on there. Okay, so it says on there, it's like a little segmented because it's I think it was a giant tab and it got broken up. Like, is there writing on it? Yeah, there's oh. like writing carved into okay. it. So it says here that they went to an Indian village surrounded by long houses. Uh-huh. They, for some reason, say that they never had to eat their last pig. Oh, well, that's good to know, I guess. So maybe like they weren't doing as bad as we thought they were. Okay. And just that they went over there and they were living with the Croatoans. And if you find this tablet, come find us and hang out with us in our last pig. Oh, so then the happy ending did happen. It did happen. Oh, so great news. Yay. Great <laughs> news, everyone. All right. That's the that's the version of the story I'm going to believe then. <laughs> I think we probably should because now there's like facts about right. it. Right. Yeah. Oh, our surprise. Yes, we have a very, very exciting surprise. So we are mm. nearing 1,000 followers yes. on the Instagram, mm-hmm. which is super fun and very exciting. And we love talking to all of you and hearing from you. And we're so thankful for all of our new listeners yes. and friends. Yes. So we're going to do like a super fun mega secret code giveaway. Yes. But in order to win, you have to respond back to us with a secret code word that we're going to say on the next episode, so the episode after this one, and then you'll be entered into a pool of people, and then we'll choose one, and you'll get a super awesome gift. Well, we're going to choose a couple. We're going to choose a couple? I just decided we're choosing okay. a couple. Okay. So this episode, will the episode with the secret code will come out yeah. on the 21st. Yes. And then we will announce winners on the episode that comes out the following week. Yes. So you have like six days to enter. Yeah. And you got to listen to enter. It's going to be very exciting. (laughs) I'm very excited for this. Me too. So if you want to join, hit us up on the social meets. You can follow us on Instagram, Facebook. We have a group. We have a page. 
We're on Twitter. We're actually on MySpace now. I made a straight up MySpace. It's <laughs> awful and I hate it. So if you want to awesome. hang out with us there, cool. Um, check out the Zanga or you can, I guess, just make like smoke signals and we'll get that too. Yeah. So that's all under quite unusual pod. Mm-hmm. Slippery slide into our DMs. Noelle loves that. I just love that you said it. <laughs> well, you usually say it. So I thought I'd give it a try this time. <laughs> If you have any ghost stories, just want to say what's up, have any other just weird stories, alien stories, whatever, send us your listener lore and we'll read it after one of our episodes. Yeah, you can send that in the DMs or you can email us at quiteunusualpod at gmail.com. And if you like what you hear, please, please, please rate, review, subscribe. It's super helpful if you do it on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher mm-hmm. or Podchaser. We're on there now. Oh, yeah. So that's super fun, too. So please, um, we would really appreciate it. And if you do write us a review, let us know. We'll send you some cute little stickies. Yes. Oh, and I also want to plug the merch. Oh, yes. We have some super sick merch. I'm wearing yeah. some right now. It's amazing. Yes, yes. Yeah. <laughs> so if you go to the link in our bios on any of our social meds, we have a merch store with some super fun stuff in there. So mm-hmm. check it out. Let us know um, if you buy anything. Send us pictures. Yeah. Ooh, send us pictures. We'll Please post it on, do. on the gram. And as always, remember to celebrate the strange. And keep it unusual. Bye. Bye.